millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There is a place just for you. A place that embraces the promise of a warm spring night and a reminder to hurry home on a cool autumn evening. It is a place that exists above and below, where the surreal and sublime dance cheek to cheek. This is a place just for you to sit back and enjoy. Beautiful tales for the disenchanted. Our tale tonight is entitled The Ultimate, Chapter 13. One more for the road! Robert is certain that he just slurred. A momentary pause allows him to look into his glass before he finishes off the rest of his drink, a neat scotch that burns the back of the throat and bellows fire into the belly. This scotch is definitely not the top-shelf variety, possibly designed to be used with any cheap mixer. There will be consequences. He can feel a headache coming on. Maybe it's a hangover. He can't tell the difference anymore. He feels drunk, but also alert. Is this what happens when you're a true alcoholic? Do the lines between sober and wasted become so wafer-thin that you can't even tell the difference? It doesn't matter. He just wants one more drink. He pushes his head forward and his shoulders back, revealing the type of posture that would have made a primary school teacher proud. These days, it's best to be sitting upright in a bar to make certain you'll be served. Robert really needs one more drink. Just one more, and then he can go home and crash. He pulls out his phone and is shocked to find that it is barely 11 o'clock. He has a plethora of missed calls, an amount that would cause him instant anxiety in a more sober state. Robert isn't surprised. In the corner of the bar, a television leans out from the wall, its screen showing his face while reporting on the news of the incident at the restaurant. Damn it! He was convinced he'd managed to avoid the cameras, but there he was, sandwiched between stories about east-west relations cooling and the climate heating up. So many people calling while the world is falling down. Yuck, says Robert to himself as he slips his phone back into his jeans. He can still smell the smoke from the fire. His drink is served, and Robert hands over a 20, waving off the change. He doesn't need any more change at this point. He just wants to be left alone with his thoughts. Hey, Robert, right? A voice behind him. Fuck. He wants to tell whoever it is to fuck off. You've got the wrong guy. I'm Tim Rogers. Robert is out the back. That won't work either because then they'll talk to him about you and I. He's going to have to be direct. He's not up for chit-chat with a stranger, not tonight. Robert turns around and sees a woman with long brown hair and thick black glasses wearing a denim jacket. She's dressed in an olive green dress that sits all the way up to her neck and down to her knees with black boots. He knows who she is immediately, even if her name escapes. I know you, says Robert. I should hope so, otherwise I'm about to make a complete arsehole of myself. Robert takes a sip of his drink. I'm going to be honest though, and when I try to think of your name, all I can think of is... Not Veronica. She laughs. It's a start. She puts out her hand to shake and Robert takes it, reminded of the strength of her grip. Jemima, she says, offering him a way out of an embarrassing moment. Of course, that's right. I'm Robert. I know who you are. Do you? That makes one of us. Can I buy you a drink? He removes his jacket from the chair next to him and pulls it away from the bar so she can sit down. 
Sure, I've got one left of me and then I've got to get home. Jemima hops up onto the stool and asks the bartender to get her whatever it is Robert is drinking. She pulls out her purse from her bag and Robert waves it off. I've got this. Thank you, but I feel more comfortable buying my own drinks. Robert looks at her and takes in her face, a clear complexion, a button-light nose that barely holds her glasses in position. In the light, it is difficult to be certain, but she appears to have green eyes like a shade of emeralds you'd find in a lost treasure chest. Tell you what, Robert says, ignoring Jemima and handing the bartender another 20. He waves off the change again. I'll get this one, and some other time you can buy me one. Jemima looks at him for a moment while she sums up the deal. Okay, says Jemima, but I insist on the next round. Whenever that might be. Whenever that might be, Jemima agrees, holding up the drink. Robert holds his up. They both acknowledge each other and then take a mouthful of booze. Jemima wrinkles her nose for a moment, then shakes it off. Ah, says Jemima, shaking off the shivers that roll down her back. Quality, says Robert with a half grin. Whoo, she replies while shaking her head from side to side. Jemima composes herself with a slight giggle and then says, Ah, I have to ask, have you been at a barbecue tonight? Why? Because you stink of smoke. Robert laughs. You could say that, he says, taking another sip of his drink. Turns out I was nearly on the specials board. What does that mean, Jemima says, laughing uncertainly. Robert takes another sip of his drink. He came to this bar to shake off the night, not relive it. Do you hear about the fire at Faux 182? Yeah, shit, you were there? Yep. They both sit for a moment while Jemima lets the information sink in. Over the sound system, a new song begins to play. Jemima's face relaxes for a moment as she cocks her head to one side, taking in the tune. Four young men walk in, dressed in shirts with red and black checks, scruffy beards and tight-fitting black jeans. They make their way to the bar, excusing themselves as they move past Jemima. Robin and Jemima smile at each other, but say nothing as the lads walk up to the bartender and order a round of beers. Drinks served, they excuse themselves again and make their way to the front of the bar, sitting in the lounges that allow them to look out onto Brunswick Street. Great to see Mumford and Sons are in town, says Jemima. Robert laughs. They had good manners, I'll give them that. True. Jemima pauses. Is that Tom York playing? Robert listens to the song playing in the bar and nods. Yeah, the eraser. Your band was touted as the next Radiohead at one point, right? Robert winces. Not again. Uh, That was the Australian press. There's no way we were the next Radiohead. Jemima finishes her drink and places it on the bar defiantly. She motions the barman for two more drinks and grabs her wallet. She moves from her seat and positions herself at the bar in front of Robert so the barman knows that she is paying for this round. I figure this scotch is way better if you drink it quickly, says Jemima after the barman has taken her money. Did I offend you with the Radiohead comment? Nah, it was a type of compliment that is thrown in your face when you don't live up to the height. The problem was, we weren't fucking good enough. Two new scotches, neat, are served. Robert finishes his drink and picks up the new one, lifting his glass in acknowledgement of the new drink. He tosses another short sip, the aroma of the scotch wafting up through his nose and throat and giving him a blissful moment of dizziness that soon passes. This scotch smells like band-aids, he says. So, are you okay, says Jemima? Robert turns to look at her. 100%. Do you want to talk about it? Robert has a thing. What is there to say? There was a fire. It spread quickly. Nobody appeared to be hurt. He was certain he burned his hand, but it appears to be fine now. The fire engines arrived and everything was hunky-dory. Wendy was shaken, still a bit high, and decided it was a bad mix, so it was time to go to bed. He'd been questioned by the police. They took his number in case they needed to ask more questions. Someone from the insurance company might want to talk to him. Ugh, too much information. He could hear the news crews talking about him, and when a reporter approached him for a statement, he pretended he just needed to see if his friend was okay, and then he'd be available. Wendy had already left, so Robert stepped into the shadows and disappeared like he'd never been there in the first place. Everyone was safe and nobody died. He doesn't really understand how that played out, especially the staff that made it across the road in what must have been seconds. There was definitely someone out the back of the kitchen, hiding in the alley, just for a moment. Was that person responsible for the fire? Something wasn't making sense. Nothing was making sense. Now here he is, drinking alone again and... Nobody to talk to, nobody can think of who he'd like to talk to. Nah, says Robert, all good. What have you been up to tonight, says Robert, feeling relief at the thought of the conversation not focusing on him. Jemima smiles cheekily. I had a hot date, she says. I had a hot date, he shoots back. I think you had a hotter night than I did. 
Robert takes a big mouthful of scotch. Who is he kidding? He's definitely drunk again, and with that feeling comes a sense of relief, a feeling of comfort. Tell me about your night, says Robert. Jemima takes a long drink and finishes her scotch. Robert begins to wonder if she's racing him to a finish line, only she can see. So we went to a restaurant on Nicholson Street, says Jemima. I work at the IMAX cinema, manage it actually. That's why my sister took Nalani to the exhibition centre to see the Aztec stuff. Robert can feel the confused look on his face. Jemima moves her hair to one side behind her ear and immediately it slips back into its original place. Sorry, I was talking to Damien, Robert says. Yeah, Damien, nice kid. I forgot he hadn't told you. As you can see, storytelling is not my forte. That's my daughter's core skill. Anyway, I went on this date because it has been ages since I've been on one and I thought, what the fuck? This nice dude has asked you out, give it a go. He works next door at the exhibition centre. Decent enough guy. Robert finishes his drink and motions to Jemima if she wants another. No thanks. What's the guy's name? Steve. Robert turns and orders another drink along with a shot of tequila. Come on, mate, says the bartender. You know I can't give you tequila. Robert looks at him aghast. Because of what happened last time? The bartender nods. He's tall and young, another man in his twenties with a beard, black tattoos spilling down his arms, a personal history of interest imprinted on his skin. Once upon a time, you bought a James Dean Boulevard, a Broken Dreams poster, and stuck it on the wall of your bedroom. Now you get it inked into your calf to remind yourself that, for a few years in your late teens, you were really into James Dean. He also has super white teeth, the type of teeth you once only saw at the movies, brandished by movie stars, appearing in period-set films, immediately taking you out of the story. Yeah, those types of teeth. Because of what happened last time, the bartender says, nodding his head. He hands Robert the scotch and waves off the 20 that is offered. No tequila, but this one is on me. Robert raises his drink as a salute and takes a long sip of his new drink. Jemima leans in when the bartender walks off to serve a new patron. What happened last time? Robert looks at her and cocks his eyebrow. I have no idea. I'm guessing that's the problem. You guess right, says Robert. There was a fight. I didn't start it, but from all accounts, I finished it. Jemima's eyes widen. You beat someone up? Robert can't help but laugh. Nah, I can't fight. I got in the middle of one, said something, and from all reports, threw up all over the floor. Jemima looks deeply into Robert's face to see if he's joking. I know. Classy. How's this guy single? Still an effective way to end a fight, says Robert. Marvel should make a movie about you, says Jemima. I know, Robert says, nodding his head. I could be liquid laugh man. Thanos wouldn't know what hit him. What happened with Sam? Steve? Well, what? I don't know. There's not much to report. No drama. It was quite a nice evening. It was just... Whatever. You know what I mean? Robert downs the rest of his scotch and wipes his mouth with the back of his hand. It might be time to go home. Smoke a J. Get high. Again. Put on some music. Go to sleep. Forget about the day, the night. He probably needs to get some sleep, especially considering he has to see Nico tomorrow. Fucking Nico. Nothing about tomorrow appeals. Robert hopes he'll die in his sleep and therefore won't have to face the day. I do know what you mean. So your date with Sam, Steve. Sammy Stevie was as exciting as a vanilla wafer wrapped in a manila folder pressed up against a beige wall. And rather than go home with him, you figured you'd rather have a drink in a bar alone. Robert stands up as he says this and unhooks his jacket from the back of his stool. He's feeling really drunk. Maybe he shouldn't get high tonight. He doesn't want to green out and spend the rest of the night losing his delicious dinner. Nah, who's he kidding? Of course he's going to get high. How else can he sleep? He gets high to sleep. That's what he tells himself every night. Some afternoons too. Jemima stands up and straightens her clothes before slipping into her coat. In his defence, I don't think I was what he was hoping for either, says Jemima. Robert looks at her and runs his hand through his hair. He shudders at how unclean it feels. His skin feels opaque, his eyes tired. Everything feels like it might be past the use-by date. His thoughts return to the room to Jemima, who is looking at him quizzically. His loss, says Robert. Sorry for being rude, but I think I need to go home. Me too. Which way are you going? I'm walking up to Fitzroy North. I live near Edinburgh Gardens. They walk outside into the cold Melbourne night, the wind curling litter up into the street. Taxis sit idle on the side, waiting patiently for someone to need their services. A couple locked arm in arm push past them to get into the bar, looking like they're hiding under one big coat. A man on a scooter glides past them, the little engine putt-putt-putting, disappearing into the haze further down the street. Clifton Hill, says Jemima. You're walking? 
Robert pulls the lapels of his jacket up around his neck. Yeah, I'm pretty fucking drunk in case you hadn't noticed. No shit, says Jemima. I'll walk you down to Alexander Parade, but then I'm catching an Uber. Great. If I get attacked, I'll have someone to protect me. If we get attacked, I expect you to pull out your vomit trick and then we'll both be safe. Robert thinks about this for a second and nods. I reckon I can make that happen. They set off at a brisk pace, walking past the empty fast food joints with their warm pizzas and rotating wheels of meat in the windows. They look disgusting, and it takes all of Robert's willpower to not suggest going in and buying them. Thank goodness Jemima is walking alongside, or he'd have had no one to hide his savlaki shame from. He's convinced that out of everything he's done to himself in this life, it will be late shithouse food choices that will be the death of him. In this life. As if there are any others to come. Who would Robert be if he could choose? Tell me about your girl with the pretty name, says Robert, desperate to stop thinking about the E. coli infused food that calls to him. Nalani, what do you want to know? Uh, I don't know. What do you want to tell me? They walk in silence for a few steps, their breath condensing as it leaves their lips, tiny speech bubbles that dissipate into the night. Robert begins to wonder if he's asked the wrong question, but when Jemima finally responds, he understands it's because she just doesn't know where to begin. She's a good kid, smart, funny, a deep thinker for her age, Jemima says, very creative. She doesn't get that from me. From her dad then, says Robert. Jemima laughs. Maybe, who knows, maybe my sister. Robert rolls the dice on the next question. I get the impression her father isn't around. Jemima looks over at Robert, who returns her gaze. He can tell what she's doing. She's trying to work out if this is the time and place to be too forthright, to be too honest. Is it worth her while to share deep thoughts with a man who is drunk enough that he has to concentrate on each step he takes? In his defence, with each step in the cool night air, he begins to feel more and more sober. He's certain of it. His ability to bounce back is legendary. No, says Jemima. It's a flat response that Robert can't read, almost devoid of emotion. He wonders if he should leave it there, but after a slight pause, she continues. No, he's overseas somewhere. He was already heading overseas when I found out I was pregnant. High school lovers? Jemima laughs that throaty laugh again. Not quite. We were young, though. He was going overseas, and I don't think we were meant to be anything else but lovers. He stays in touch. Pause. Sometimes. He sends money. Some. It doesn't matter says Jemima. She's a smart kid. I've been honest with her. She gets it. Halfway down Brunswick Street, a tram appears behind them, the wheels straining against the cold tracks. Robert and Jemima both look up, slightly startled at how something so big could surprise them both. On the tram, a couple of impassive faces stare out of the window, their eyes lost in thought. Their thoughts are secret to everyone who happens to spy their faces. People complain about the trams, but Robert loves them. Their gentle rocking back and forth as they travel through the veins of the city have often comforted him on his travels. At the height of the band's popularity, when asked what he missed the most about his pre-fame life, he'd often reply, catching a tram in silence. It would usually garner a laugh from whoever asked the question, constantly confusing Robert, who was being sincere. As his fame has receded, or at least the halcyon days of the band slowly lost focus, his ability to catch public transport returned. It was a return to normalcy that he was convinced was long gone. I've always said it is easier to cover for an absent father than an absent mother, says Robert. Oh yeah, why's that? I just figure it is easier for a woman to tap into her masculine side than it is in reverse, says Robert. Just a theory. Who knows? Maybe it's okay now because men are softer. Weaker? No, I mean soft, in a good way. Like that kid Damien, at the shop. He expresses himself in ways that I still struggle with. I admire him for it. They continue in silence for a few steps, watching the tram glide down Brunswick Street until its red lights disappear far ahead and around the bend. Now it's Jemima's turn to roll the dice with her next question. Were you raised by a single mum? Robert chuckles. No, I was raised by my aunt and uncle, he says. My parents died when I was young. We were hit by some Joe that ran the lights and skidded on the chilled road. I was 11. Fuck, I'm sorry. I Look, to be honest, I don't know how to say this, so I'll just say it. I did know that about your parents. I just forgot. Robert is surprised. You knew? Jemima looks over at him sheepishly. I did. I was. I'm a big fan of your band. Ah, He doesn't quite know what to say to that. At first it feels too familiar, impinging on his privacy. Then again, Jemima looks embarrassed to know this, and it isn't her fault. This is the price of fame, of success. People know stuff that you'd rather keep to yourself. Any time he took part in a one-on-one interview, it was always brought up. 
What was he meant to say? That the ache of their deaths was still with him? That their absence affected every part of his life right down to the minutiae of just about every choice he made? It wasn't true, not on a conscious level at least. What happened to Melody? That resonated. Is that what your song, Someone I Met, was all about? Jemima asked softly. She's walking slowly out onto the pond that is frozen over, uncertain if she's going to glide to one side or crash down into the cold. He appreciates the tentativeness. I don't like to tell people what the songs are about, especially that one, says Robert. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend. Oh, no, 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 you didn't offend. It's just, if I say what the song is about, it is about that and only that. Whereas if you like the song, I do, it's one of my favourites. Thank you. Well, if you like it, it should be about whatever you want it to be about. Why take out the mystery? To be truthful, Robert is surprised because the song is all about the coma, or more accurately, who he became once he woke up. No injuries, no scratches, no parents. He hadn't thought about his mum and dad for a while, and this made him feel guilty. He was constantly thinking about Melody, but his parents were so dim in his recollections. It was such a long time ago that it was difficult to recall the moment he woke and felt like a different person. A new person. He couldn't say this to people because he didn't want them thinking that this was a positive feeling. He just knew something had been left behind those few weeks he was on life support in that dreamless world. From the moment he woke, Robert spent years trying to find himself, trying on new personalities like a deranged pretty woman montage. Enough! This all feels too dramatic, like a Stan Lee script overflowing with exclamation marks. To top it off, he's sober as well. There will definitely be a fat Jay tonight. Robert notices that he hasn't spoken for a bit, looks over at Jemima and smiles. He can feel the cold constricting his skin and making the grin feel forced. It's okay, it happened a long time ago. All good. I feel like it was prying, my bad. I just know that song, I, I know it back to front. It's all good. I was in the accident, but I can't remember it. I just woke up in hospital, my parents were dead, the guy who ran the lights was dead, but I was fine. Not a scratch on me, he says. Now I'm a rock and roll millionaire who just survived a restaurant fire. What can I say? I'm a lucky guy. They arrive at the corner of Alexander Parade and Brunswick Street, both of them noticing the orange street lights cast across bitumen roads, both too shy to mention their love of this particular view. Across the road, another bar continues to entertain its last patrons for the night, while outside a few smokers desperate for a gasper or two huddle together, shifting their weight from leg to leg, desperate to generate some sort of warmth. A new awkwardness descends, their thoughts too ripe and bloated for this time of night. Robert decides his night is over, it has been an eventful evening, he has a big day ahead, and it is time to say goodbye. Do you want me to order you an Uber, says Robert? Jemima looks back up the street for a taxi. Nah, fuck it, she says. If I can hail a taxi, I'll do that. Robert stands alongside her and peers back down the street towards where they just came from. He can see the headlights of a car, but can't quite tell if it is what they need. They keep looking as the car approaches and eventually reveals that it is indeed a taxi. Robert walks onto the road, waves his hand. The taxi responds by flashing its headlights to let him know that he has been seen. Thank you, says Jemima. I hope I didn't offend. Robert cuts her off. Not in the slightest. I'm glad we bumped into each other. As the taxi draws closer, Robert walks back onto the sidewalk and stands alongside Jemima. Do you need a lift, she says. Robert has a think but decides against it. He's feeling sober and surprisingly enjoying the sting of the cold air, little frozen kisses across his cheeks. Thank you, but I need the walk. Are you okay with the burning restaurant and everything? As the taxi pulls up alongside them, Robert automatically walks to the back door. Back seat, says Robert. Every time. He opens the door, pops his head in and says hello to the taxi driver, handing him some money. You're just taking my friend to Clifton Hill, but here's the fare and keep the change. Robert enjoys the grunted response that comes from the driver and when he turns back to Jemima, she hits him on the arm. Did you just pay? She says. Ow! Says Robert, rubbing his arm in an exaggerated manner. You didn't have to do that. I didn't, but I wanted to. Buy your daughter something with the money you saved. Jemima smiles and pushes her glasses back up along the ridge of her nose. I'm sure I'll find something amazing with that $8 you spared me, she says. Buy her two coffees. Jemima leans forward to the taxi driver and gives her address before turning back to Robert. Will do. Are you around at the store on Saturday? Robert rubs the side of his face and has a think. He can't remember the last time he was there on the weekend. He's usually too busy spending the day trying to find the courage to roll out of bed and join the human race. 
Ah, might be, he says. Are you heading in for the comic drawing, writing classes thingy that Damien runs? Jemima slips into the back of the taxi and Robert semi-closes the door for her. We thought it might be a good idea, says Jemima. Nalani wants to be a comic book artist when she gets older and she's already well on her way. I have no idea where she gets her ideas, but they're great, if I can say that as her mother. Robert watches as the corner stoplights facing in the opposite direction flash orange, meaning it will soon be the taxi's turn to get the green. I might see you there then, says Robert, patting the top of the car. Enjoy what's left of your night. Will do, says Jemima. Oh, and you should call my sister. Don't be that guy, okay? She closes the door and the taxi pulls away from the curb, leaving Robert to think, I don't even know who that guy is. Chapter 14. Another dream. You know he has a plan. They walk down a desolate street blocked in by rubble from the cracked and damaged buildings. Above them, the morning sky reveals pink clouds, shifting cotton balls dabbed with blood from the violence below. There will be more widescreen action before the morning fully breaks. Their feet skip across the boulevard like a rock across a tar-black pond. Mr. Ultimate, says Fiery Falcon, her breath short and panicked as they make their way through the carcass of the city. Neon Raven steals a look at his niece, wise beyond her years, forced to grow up too soon. No, Mr. Ultimate is from Universe 8, he says, leaping over a smouldering scooter. I'm talking about the big guy. Oh, that makes sense. Of course he has a plan, says Fiery Falcon. She pulls a device from her red utility belt without breaking stride. She comes to a stop and holds the device in the air, listening to the ping, ping, ping echo throughout the world. When the device finally stops making a noise, she checks the readings and shakes her head. They're rewriting the world. Soon we'll be incapable of winning. The laws of the universe will be set up for us to lose all the time. Wait. Can you hear that music, he says, black cape fluttering about his body, frantically tapping the secret thoughts of the wind. Was this to be the final adventure of the... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The Neon Raven and his pal, the Fiery Falcon. Yes, it sounds like broken glass, she says. What about Ultimate Man? They look up and watch as the great flesh machines cut open the fabric of time and space, announcing their arrival. One giant eye, bloodshot and weeping, looks down coldly, surveying what lies below. Nothing happens for a moment. Neon Raven notices that even the music has disappeared. In the distance, a murder of crows calls out a warning in their own secret language. He looks back up to see the eye closing, giant lids taking an eternity to meet, the flesh and metal inspiring a dull thud. Then, without warning, the eyelids open to reveal an elongated mouth where the eye once was. It opens its black maw, black teeth lining the insides, a deep sigh emanating from within. Then suddenly, scraps of paper spew forth, fluttering down from above. Fiery Falcon catches some of the paper and understands too late what is happening as words spill onto the streets. Loneliness, doubt, despair, inaction. She looks to her uncle and Neon Raven can see the fear in her eyes, even covered by her red domino mask. He snatches the paper out of her hands and throws them to the ground. It's Athena's original plan, but after the mistake with Muse and the Huntsman, he's going down there himself, says the Neon Raven. He's making it possible. That's what Ultimate Man does. Avoid the words at all costs, she says, fighting the urge to take off her costume and sit down in the wreckage. It would be so easy to just give up, go and ride out this horrible future that hides just ahead. She'd love nothing more than to go home, but she knows this isn't her. This isn't what she really believes. She removes her device from the utility belt again and presses it gently to her face. Ping, ping, ping. You should be careful with that device, says Neon Raven. We have no idea where it came from. It looks like an old god's weapon. You don't want to rely on something we don't fully understand. 
I had to use it again, she said. If I didn't, I was about to give up and go back home to open a cupcake store. Holy cupcake, the neon raven attempts to reply, but his words are overpowered by a loud bang, followed by a tiny whirl of dust. There's also a faint smell of ozone in the air. He recognises the smell, and as his eyes clear, he sees their ally, the messenger, clad in scarlet, sparks flickering across his body. The frail have arrived, the messenger says. His words are deliberate as he concentrates on speaking slowly. It is his curse to be the fastest person alive in a world that feels like it is constantly dragging its feet. We just watch one of its eyes turn into a mouth and spit words at us, says the neon raven. Avoid the words on the ground. Once read, you'll be overwhelmed with such sadness. You'll be incapable of original thoughts. Has Ultimate Man perfected the machine that will help us enter the Obsidian Life Trap? Says the fiery falcon, her voice breaking much to her chagrin. She doesn't want to remind anyone that she still is, in many ways, a kid. More explosions overhead. The smell of burning paper fills their nostrils and catches on the back of their throats. They watch as the sky burns at the edges and rains charred confetti. Paper, the messenger says. They're reducing our world to paper. With panic in her eyes, Fiery Falcon looks to her uncle, the legend that is the Neon Raven. He returns the look and smiles. It is the type of smile that belongs to a man who has defied death many times. I fear the obsidian life trap is too delicate. If too many of us enter, the trap will devolve and we'll lose the tox cattle flute forever. We already have our universe prime counterpart down there. It's up to ultimate man to make the journey that will save the multiverse, says the neon raven. He pauses for a moment and then adds, again. Look, says the messenger, pointing to the sky. A flash of gold overwhelms their vision for just a moment. They look up to see the eye has replaced the mouth, just in time to see the projectile flying towards it. Look, says Fiery Falcon, pointing at her as she flies directly into the charcoal pupil, her owl flying alongside her into this grim darkness. Frail, meet Athena, the neon raven yells upward. She's brought us the time we need. Before the neon raven can move, the messenger grabs him by the arm. Time moves differently down here. Muse said that her thoughts became heavy, her action belaboured. It's why I couldn't follow them down there. But you must remember, we need the flute that contains the song to save the world. We need you here, the Neon Raven says. We don't need to worry. Ultimate Man will find my Prime Universe counterpart and turn the tide of this battle. Now, let's go. Another sonic boom as the messenger runs ahead, his after image flickering and disappearing within moments of forming. Neon Raven looks at Fiery Falcon and gives her the thumbs up. He wants her to believe everything is going to be fine, even as he tries to ignore seeing the word doubt stuck to the smouldering wall behind her. Chapter 15 It isn't the first time Robert has woken and for a brief moment been completely unaware of where he is. Another exhausting night of half-remembered dreams, if only they weren't so apocalyptic. Even in his dreams, Robert is surrounded by drama. Were they influenced by the comics he's been reading or by the world that he lives in? Everywhere he looks, it feels like things are coming to an end. From Marvel movies to HBO series, everything is wrapping up. It appears the world collectively knows there might not be a tomorrow, so we better finish our stories now. Who wouldn't hate entering oblivion and your last ever thought being, I wonder who did end up on the Iron Throne? He can't blame popular culture. It only reflects the world and the times we live in. It makes sense that all these stories are epic with the fate of the world hanging in the balance. Whether it is flashing across a television screen or bellowing out of a crackly radio station or even being pumped directly into your eyeballs through your smartphone, the state of the world is mainlined straight into the Amagadelia and with it the suggestion we are all powerless. There is no way forward while petty men, all with God on their side, play dice for the future of the world. Fuck, this is a brutal way to start the day. Robert wonders if it is worth leaving the house. He knows it will be cold outside, his pillows are cool, and he feels safe, hidden under the warmth of the doona. Stupid dreams. Everyone speaks as if in an exclamation mark is a comma. He should check in on Wendy. That's the priority. After everything that happened last night, what a weird turn of events. A quiet dinner that turned into a sweet and sour inferno, and then finished with good company doused in cheap booze. He could just so easily take off the day, but he knows that he makes this choice too often too easily. It might be a good idea to be surrounded by people for a change. Robert enjoyed Jemima's company at the end of last night. He can enjoy his staff today, even if they only talk to him because he pays them a wage. He closes his eyes and decides on the count of three he'll get up, get ready and race into work. He just needs to start the countdown. Maybe you should start from ten. 
or 11 in honour of David, Nigel and Derek, the greatest rock band that ever lived. No, on the count of three, we'll be better. Stop procrastinating. Yes, the bed is comfy. Yes, it would be easier to do fuck all. Not today. On the count of three. Ready? Okay. One, two, three. Robert could tell there was something wrong as soon as he walked into the store. For a moment, he'd actually felt pretty good that he'd nailed getting out of bed on the first count of three, enjoyed a shower, dressed, fed Alfred, and walked into work. There was even something refreshing about the way a light rain fell across his face as he walked into his shop, leaving tiny watery jewels on the surface of his coat. It was a pleasing observation, and he wondered if there was a song in it. Wow, been a long time since he had thought anything along those lines. Was he feeling creative again? Unfortunately, that thought was lost as he felt the tension on the floor, thick and unwavering. He took off his coat and stepped gingerly across the racks of comics, hoping that whatever was wrong would be something he could avoid. Maybe he was imagining it. Or perhaps there wasn't any tension and it was something else, like that weird smell that seeped through the store when the warmth of the early morning heaters met the dank overnight air. Over to one side, Anissa tidies up one of the display cabinets, placing the black and white Batman statues in a concise order, concentrating at the task at hand as if this was the most important job she could carry out at this moment. Her face appears taut, not a usual relaxed and open self. At the desk, Kylie types away on her laptop like a crazed composer, desperate to expunge all of the tunes she hears in her head before they're lost to the darkest recesses of her imagination. At the front of the store, Damien cleans the windows, Robert looks out onto the street and notices the rain has turned heavy and the once promising sky has darkened. It drives the mood further down. He doesn't see Greg anywhere, guessing he's hiding out the back. To his right, in front of the shelves where the all-ages comics are displayed, stand a man and a woman who at first glance look like they shouldn't know each other. She's short with a bob of black hair and sharp cheekbones that could cut through flesh all the way down to the bone. He's tall, bulky, a Frank Miller drawing circa his Sin City years. He has the type of big hands that look like they want to pat the rabbit until the rabbit is dead. Robert can't stop looking at the couple. There is something about them, dressed in long, almost matching black coats. They appear to be looking about the store, casing the place, getting ready to make their move. Outside, the city flickers under nature's strobe light before a loud boom suggests heaven is falling. Jesus, Damien says as he jumps backwards. How loud was that? Pretty loud, Robert says, distracted by a feeling of suspicion. He wanders over to Kylie, tapping away at the computer. If you're not careful, that keyboard's going to have you up on battering charges, he says. Kylie gives him a cursory glance before returning her bash, bash, bashing typing. You look like shit, she says without missing a beat. Bad dreams. Kylie continues to type. Robert, I'm begging you, don't share your dreams with me. There's nothing more annoying than hearing about someone's fucking dream. So I've heard. What's wrong, says Robert. Kylie finally looks up, her blue eyes looking paler than normal. She pushes her hand through her cropped blonde hair and for a moment Robert thinks she might throw something at him. Before I get angry, did you check your phone last night? Robert immediately reaches into his front pocket for his phone and then realises he's left it at home. He immediately pictures exactly where he left the damn thing on a stack of books on his bedside table. Ah, no. Something kind of went down last night. Shit, Robbie. That's something new. Now it is Robert's turn to feel defensive. He fights the urge to snap back at her regardless of the situation. Instead, he takes a breath and continues. Is there something you would like to talk about? Kylie sighs. Look, it's been an annoying morning. Anissa's upset about something. Damien had to deal with that homeless guy again. Greg is stressing out about the landlord and this place being sold. Things are just fucking tense this morning. Okay, but what does that have to do with the text message that I didn't see? Kylie wraps her left hand up over her right shoulder and then, with her right hand, pushes the elbow to the right, causing her shoulder to let off a firecracker of a pop. She then repeats the action for her right arm with an even louder crack. Robert is convinced she's about to fight him. She looks around and, once she is certain nobody is paying attention, she leans over the counter to whisper, Are we going to talk about Tuesday? says Kylie. Robert feels a surge of panic well up inside and uses all of his powers to suppress this almost overwhelming feeling from showing in his eyes. He concentrates on the muscles in his back, relaxing them to the point that he can then keep his breathing shallow. He has no idea what Kylie is talking about, and since he's an atheist, he prays to Alan Moore that they didn't make out. Not that he believes Kylie would be interested in him that way. There has always been a clear divide between him and the younger staff, but that sentence, full of suggestion and accusation, that's a tough sentence to confront. Are we going to talk about Tuesday? Fuck. What happened Tuesday? 
Tom Major, Tanya Stewart from the Daily Grind, says whoever Tanya Stewart is. For a moment, Robert has no idea who this person is standing in his personal space like an overly friendly third cousin at a family gathering. Then he remembers he was just eyeing her suspiciously mere moments ago. Now she's here, waving a smartphone in his face, her long fingers wrapped around the red cover, placed just under his chin, ready to record whatever words he chooses to share. Her orc-like companion holds up something in his hand. It appears to be a GoPro or something similar. Robert can't be certain since it is enveloped in his meaty hands. Did she say the Daily Grind? Is that a porn site? Robert preferred it when he thought they were possibly shoplifters. You might own a comic shop, but last night you were a real-life hero. How does that feel? Robert looks to Kylie for some assistance, but she looks on, motionless, caught between utter annoyance and abject curiosity. Over at the front window, Damien is looking over, but makes no effort to head in his direction. Why is everyone quick to mill around when a woman comes to the store to talk to him, but when he quite clearly needs help, his sassy staff clam up? The Daily Grind, Robert says, trying to buy himself time. He thinks about asking them if they work for a porn site and then thinks better of it. Is this some weird coffee channel? If that's the case, I'll have a long black, thanks. Robert is pretty wrapped that he came up with Coffee Channel on the spot. He files it away knowing that this one mildly amusing witticism can be used as an excuse to take the rest of the day off. Funny, says Tanya. We spoke to some of the people from Faux 182 and the report suggests you not only saved a young woman, but you ran back into the restaurant and saved all of the staff as well. Holy shit, Damien says, finally deciding to walk over. You were at Faux 182 last night? Robert looks over at Damien and shoots him a look of dismay. Now isn't the time for a little chat. Now is the time to run interference so this hero of the people can fuck off and escape out the back. Instinctively, Robert puts his left hand in his jacket and feels the comfort of a jay that sits patiently waiting for him. When did that happen? Not that he's complaining about a surprise jay. Maybe Alfred rolled it for him. What a good cat. Damien, says Robert, can you grab Greg, please? Damien nods as if he finally understands what is going on and scoots over to the office. Robert returns his attention to the girl and her big friendly giant. Can you do me a favour, Lois, and get Andre the giant to turn off the GoPro, please? Says Robert. Lois, cute. Did you just earn yourself a tick for making a comic book joke? She is correct. In fact, Robert just gave himself two ticks for the Andre name drop too. He's on a roll. And the name's Tanya, continues Tanya oblivious to Robert's lack of attention to the situation. We'll happily leave after you answer some questions. Robert looks at the brute and wonders if he could take him in a fight. He's big, much taller than Robert, and three times as wide. If he strikes now, he could take him by surprise, go for the nose, make his eyes water. While he's in shock, he could kneel down, punch him in the cock, and as he buckles over, bring his fist right up into his face and then push him to the ground. That would not only get rid of the bruiser, but win him the respect of his staff with his mad fighting skills. Nobody would expect him to be a weapon. Probably because he is in no way a weapon. Robert doesn't know how to fight. He's read too many graphic novels to think he has some hidden fighting skills. Maybe he's a sleeper agent. Nah, probably not. Maybe it would just be better to say he forgot something and then hide out the back. It has, for the most part, been his signature move for the better part of a decade. He's very good at it. Look, I know you're just trying to get content for your... Sight, Robert says with an upward inflection. He has no idea what a daily grind is. We're an online publication, says Tanya. Her delivery suggests she's annoyed that Robert doesn't know about her site. This has to be good coverage for you with an anniversary for your band just around the corner. Now Robert is properly annoyed. He looks over at the brute behind her. Upon further inspection, Robert notices he has a tattoo around his neck that looks like the type of tribal pattern you get when you don't belong to a tribe. Still, definitely a good time to avoid finding out if he has fighting skills. To be fair, Robert is pleasantly surprised that this girl has done her homework and knows about the band's anniversary. He feels like the last time he was a guest on a podcast, the kid interviewing him thought he was Paul Dempsey. Okay, that's enough. They all turn to see Anissa, standing tall, her hair tees so high that it gives the impression that she is 7 foot 30. For once, she isn't dressed in bright colours, instead opting for the Melbourne winter catalogue of grey, black with grey and black highlights. Her skivvy wraps up around her neck and she wears a silver necklace that catches the store light perfectly, shining the eye of Agamotto. Robbie, Greg wants to talk to you, so you better go to the office. You've forgotten to book the pickup of the shipment from the airport. Robert throws his hands up in mock despair. Well, gosh, Anissa, I wanted to stay and answer these questions, but if Greg wants me to sort out the pickup of the shipment, the pickup, yes, of the shipment, shipment of comics, nothing bad, good. 
good. Good to make that plane while I'm being recorded. Anyway, I better go. I don't want to be in any more trouble. Robert turns back to Tanya. I have to say, this has been a sincere pleasure and an absolute thrill. Take care. Good luck with the grinding manly site. And big fella, don't go changing. Robert turns to leave and notices that Kylie is still looking at him with the bored look she usually says for customers who argue that Thor should be able to beat Superman in a fight because he's magic. It is annoying that she's unleashing that withering gaze on him. Thanks for your help, Robert says in a low voice aimed directly at Kylie. He turns to walk to the office immediately wishing he hadn't done that. It feels petty. He should be above that type of behaviour, especially with people who are old enough to be his children. He feels a shudder run through him at the thought something physical happened on Tuesday night. Maybe they didn't make out. Anything could have gone down. Maybe it was something else. Why would she be so angry with him, though? Carly has never been angry at him before. Disrespectful, yes. Not angry, though. He walks towards the office just in time to see the door open. Greg looks at Robert with a what just happened expression on his face. Damien hovers in the background trying to see over Greg's shoulder. Behind him, Anissa is ushering the two interlopers out of the store, offering to order them a taxi. She's firm, but professional. Thank goodness for Anissa. Fuck, that was intense, Robert says, starting to take his jacket off before slipping it back into place. He's just seen the time and remembered that Nico isn't far away. Thank goodness he has a surprise Jay to take the edge off that upcoming event. What was going on, Greg says. He scratches the back of his head where his hair once flourished. Now he has a Caesar-like crown of ginger, offset by the beard that covers most of his face. He pushes his frameless glasses back into place. Robert thinks his friend looks tired. Poor bastard. Rob was at Flo 182 last night says Damien. He sounds particularly excited at the prospect of hearing the story. Shit, man, are you okay? Now it's Greg's turn to look with worry at Robert. He waves Greg off and motions for the two men to follow him out the back. They dutifully follow while he fills them in. I'm fine, more than fine, says Robert, opening the back door and stepping into the alley. It stinks of rubbish and piss, but the constant rain is flushing the refuse away for someone else to deal with. When he looks at the litter running down the gutters, Robert feels nothing but shame and despair. They huddle under the slightly too small awning that shields the back entrance to the store. Robert pulls out the joint and blazes up. Greg can't help but react. Seriously? Robert draws in a deep toke and then slowly lets the smoke escape from his mouth, wafting up his face and mildly stinging his eyes. Nico will be here soon, says Robert. I take it all back. You should double down and have a second one. If I had a second one with me, I would. Damien looks back and forth, completely lost. Who's Nico? While Robert takes another toke, Greg answers for him. Ex-bandmate. Oh, shit, Damien says. He has no idea who Nico is, but he knows enough about where Robert stands with his band to comprehend that it will not be an easy afternoon. Did he have a cool alter ego name like Tom Major? Nah, just Nico. So what happened at the restaurant last night, Greg says, moving the conversation back on track. I was out last night catching up with Wendy. Who's Wendy, says Damien. Wendy Tyler, says Greg, from the Pierce Nipples. Damien looks back to Robert. The what now? Robert looks at Greg. The Pierce Nipples? One of the great 90s rock bands? Damien shrugs. Ugh, stop making me feel old, Damo, Greg says. I want to know about the fire, says Damien. Robert takes another long drag as the rain comes down heavier than before. In the distance, thunder bellows as it makes its way towards the city. Robert wishes he had stayed at home with Alfred. Wendy and I went out to dinner at Foe 182, Damien interjects. Thank you, Damien. All the points for you. We were having a very nice time when I noticed something was burning, and before you knew it, fire was racing across the ceiling, and luckily we all got out in time, so nobody was hurt. The end. Good story, says Greg. Robert finishes the joint and puts it out on the wall. He flicks the butt into the gutter and then winces at his bad behaviour. He's just been despairing about the litter rushing away with the water, and now he is adding to the problem. He bends down to grab it, but he's too late. The butt is long gone. Yeah, but that woman said you were a hero, says Damien. He's not going to let this go. I just happened to notice the fire first. Nothing heroic about that. How did they know you were there, Greg says. He watches as Robert wobbles ever slightly as the last hit of the pot really kicks in. He doesn't like the amount of pot and booze that Robert imbibes, but also knows it really isn't his place to tell him what to do. Besides, Greg has enough to do with other than play wet nurse to his dear friend. I reckon it was the news crew, says Robert, enjoying the mild head spins. I had to give a statement and there were news crews and even though I dodged them, I was in the background of the footage. I was surprised how many people saw it. My phone went nuts with messages and missed calls. 
They return to the warmth of the back storage area and into the office. Robert sits down in his chair, enjoying the way it sighs with his weight. He's had enough talking about what happened last night. Hey, Damo, says Robert. Kylie said that homeless guy was in again today. Damien turns around and furrows his brow, his floppy hair getting in his eyes for a moment until he brushes it away. His thin lips become even thinner as he takes stock of the room. Yeah, came in looking at the comics. He was agitated that we didn't have new stock. Robert can't help but laugh. Good on him for having nowhere to live but wanting to keep across the latest storylines. Greg gives Robert a look that suggests the situation is slightly more stressful than he is giving it credit. Robert acknowledges the gentle rebuke and does his best to straighten his bent smirk. Sorry, mate, says Robert. No sweat. He comes in, flipping through the latest releases, and then looks at me and asks what day it is. I tell him it's Friday, and then he asks the same question that he asked a few days ago. When is the next shipment ready? I told him it will be next week, and he tells me it will be too late then. He has to return somewhere. I think he said that. Or he has to go someplace. I don't know. It was confusing. The guy is massive and also pretty scary. Greg looks at Robert. We might have to get some security in for a couple of days if this guy is hanging around. Robert shakes his head. Seems a bit much. Maybe just tell the cops. How big is this guy, Damo? Damien has a thing. His serious face lost in thought for a moment. He's really big. Bigger than the dude out there with the camera, says Damien. Not just big. Tall and broad. He wears a hat. An old type of hat. The type they wore in Mad Men. Greg looks at Robert. Maybe John Han's in town for a new role, says Greg. Robert gives him a look as if to say, didn't you just tell me off for telling jokes? Greg catches the look and a sly smile crosses his face, acknowledging the double standard. You know, scary isn't the right word, Damien continues, oblivious to the exchange between old friends. He has a presence. He's intimidating, like an athlete. All three men nod to this. If there is one thing they all have in common, it is that they're definitely not athletes. While most of his friends parlayed their fame into having close relationships with their local AFL team or the Australian cricket team, Robert veered far away from that world. There was enough unharnessed testosterone in the music industry. He didn't need to deal with it in a world where it is deliberately cultivated. Before the conversation can continue, the door to the office opens suddenly. Kylie pops her head in, still looking annoyed and exasperated. Rob, some dude is here for you. Thank you, Kylie, says Robert, hoping his manners will win her over. She's gone before he can even get to her name. Robert looks at his friends and holds his hands in the air, wiggling his fingers. It's showtime, folks. Thank you for joining us. You're always welcome here. Remember to avoid danger with strangers and never accept advice from mice. We hope to see you again here soon. Until then. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.